Hey everyone, Podcast the Dice Game here. I'd like to talk about a topic that I put up in a little tiny mini episode that I recorded while I was half asleep, which is box size and footprint for a game. Now, when you actually uh, are looking for a game, it's very important to get the right box size and footprint because boxes are huge. Your regular box size, I mean, generally non-gamer games like Monopoly are this weird long and flat size, which is even more impractical. But your normal gaming box, like we're talking, you know, Splendor, Sagrada, um, you know, all your standard stuff, Race for the Galaxy, San Juan, Puerto Rico, all of these things, they all have about the same size box, and it's all very, very large, and that's not needed at all. Sometimes it is, sometimes there's enough stuff in the box that that's necessary, but a lot of the time it isn't, and why have a big box if you don't want one? Again, this generally comes down to the reason they do this is because they want the size so that they can be on a shelf and very big and easy to advertise. It's all about the advertising space. You got a big box, you show up big on the shelf, people immediately notice you. However, a shelf at home, that's a different story. You want your games to be as small as possible so that you can have lots of them in a small space. Especially if you live in an apartment or somewhere small, like really anywhere other than a huge house, you're going to want as small as you can get. Footprint's also important for similar reasons. If you live in a small space, then you're obviously going to want to be able to keep a game uh, stuck to just your um, just your little tiny um, dining room table and nothing else. Uh, footprint is how much space the game takes up when you actually put out all the components. And sometimes you can squeak it down, like it's meant to be bigger, but you can overlap things, but that's just irritating. Sometimes, again, there is no problem with this, and also, the medium is the medium when it comes to board games. You can make, um, you know, you can make a game that is huge, huge box, huge footprint, huge whatever, go ahead. It's great that board games are, like, they have enough variety, that this is a thing that people do, and it's fantastic, I love it. But it's not for me, it's not for a lot of people. And maybe it is for you, but not all the time. Like, some people will gladly play Twilight Imperium, 4th edition now. <laughs> a gigantic game with a gigantic box, a gigantic footprint. Everything about it is gigantic, including the playtime. And, you know, they might play that sometimes, but, uh, like very rarely, once a year, and then the other times... They don't want to have to make those kinds of concessions. They want to be able to have something that can fit anywhere. So, you know, you can have the best of both worlds. It's just important to think to yourself, do I have the space for this game? Because if you're anything like me, you're going to end up with a hundred or so. And if they're all full size, which mine certainly are not, then that will be taking up so many shelves. It will be a big deal. <laughs> So, learn from my mistakes. You do not want to have to deal with storing so many large items in your house that's just a big hassle. Stick small if you can. I do understand that sometimes if a game is packaged in a small box, that usually means there's not as much game there. I... that's not always the case, not at all. Like Race for the Galaxy is one of the best and most complex games I've ever played. 
and it fits in a deck box. Not on the shelf, of course, the shelf, the box is way bigger than it needs to be. But, you can fit it at all in a deck box, easily. A tiny little tuck box. So, you know, that's not always indicative, but sometimes it really is small, small box means small game means small strategy. But, you know, and, and if you are into big strategy, then I understand why that would be unappealing. But I implore you to look for the smaller offerings. I think that a lot of them will have more punch than you realize, especially if you shop well and look for all the best. And, you know, it'd be better for it. Oh, also, if you saw the previous little segment, which is not going to enter the podcast, you can just skip this, but I should have told you that before and not after. <laughs> See ya. Hello, welcome to Podcast the Dice Game. I'd like to talk about big games and a small package, which is one of my favorite little things that is a thing, and it exists, and it's fabulous. Games where you can get an hour of playtime, or an intense strategic challenge, or something in general you would consider big, be it just a big experience, a memorable experience, something that you think is worth your time in a teeny tiny little box. It's great. Now, um, first, I would like to talk about a game that is kind of my baby. I enjoy this game tremendously. That is, uh, it's a whole series. And it's called Valley of the Kings. Valley of the Kings is my favorite deck building game. It is uh, a deck building. A deck builder is when you, um, a game in which you take, um, in which you are making a deck during the play. You start with a deck, a very small deck of useless cards for the most part, but also cards that have some level of money on them. And generally all deck builders have this money mechanic, and the idea is that you spend your money cards to buy new cards from the center of the board, the center of the table. And then these enter your discard pile, and whenever you, um, Whenever you run out of deck, your discards become your new deck. You shuffle them up and you keep going. So, this is my favorite deck builder because it really, really zeroes in on my favorite aspect of deck builders, which is culling. Culling is when you have a have an engine builder or deck builder, some type of building game, where um, you've been gaining lots of things. But in most deck builders, you'll still have your old things as well. But in the culling mechanic is a mechanic in which you can take the old stuff that you didn't think is very useful to you anymore and just get rid of it. There are multiple different types of mechanics that you can use to get rid of it, depending on how they executed this game. Now, in Valley of the Kings, the scoring mechanism and the scrapping mechanism are intertwined in that you can scrap things normally to, like, discards and they disappear, like, center discards and they disappear forever. But you can also take something and put it in your tomb because you are an Egyptian like pharaoh of some sort. And whenever something enters your tomb, that's what you could score at the end because the idea is you're gonna die and that's all you're gonna get. All your, all your point values are what you get buried with in your tomb. So you have to kind of figure out when to make the turn. The turn is another very, very fascinating little um, thing usually shows up in engine building and deck building games where the idea is 
this is the moment you decide you're going to switch strategies from building your engine to making your engine pay off. You immediately, usually just completely stop making your engine. In this case, making your deck. And make the turn to whatever your endgame goal is. In this case, your endgame goal being scrapping everything into your tomb so that you die with it and get a lot of points. Now, there's no downside, apart from losing the cards forever, to just scrapping all the time, whenever you can. And I recommend this. This is what how I play it, and I love it. The idea that you get one free entombment per turn. So you can get more, but even on the beginning turns, you can just start entombing all your junk cards. And sure, maybe that'll leave you low on money, so it'll be difficult to uh, build up that engine early on. So maybe you don't entomb for the first few turns. But yeah, the idea is you just got always got access to getting rid of the cards you don't like. Which is great, because the very essence of a deck builder is that every card that is not the card you want to get is empty space that is hurting your strategy. Because when you think about it, if you've got a deck and it's got five great cards and five crap cards in it, and you draw a certain amount, there's a 50 chance it's going to be good. But if there's just the five great cards and no other cards in it, there's a 100% chance it's going to be good. That's an incredibly simplified version of how it actually works, but yeah, I mean, it's important to be able to scrap stuff, and it makes you feel powerful. You get to get rid of everything that was bogging you down, and just make a deck that was 100% originally you. It's great. I highly recommend this game. It takes an hour, and if it's in a teeny tiny box, which is perfect. Hello everybody, Podcast the Dice Game here. I would like to talk to you about some super small games that are very highly strategic still. Now, I talked about Valley of the Kings. There are lots of other deck builders that fit that strategy. Generally, a deck builder can always be small if it wants to be. The only ones that aren't either um, just have big boxes to pad out the space, like I've talked about, or they just need really need the depth of like tons of different varieties of cards, which you know, some of them do, and some of them it's actually the opposite, and they want to have a reasonably small set of cards, so you can actually like start to memorize them and build up like a, a natural affinity for the game and start to get really good at it and maybe go into tournaments even, which is uh, something I have done with Star Realms, a very small deck builder that I very much enjoy. It also created other deck builders like Cthulhu Realms and Hero Realms, which are also reasonably great. <laughs> um, but other than deck builders, there's lots of other things you can choose when it comes to a small box strategic game. Abstract strategy games are the perfect example of this because, I mean, look at chess. It's just the pieces and you can wrap them up in like a cloth bag that has a chessboard on the inside. I'm not a huge fan of chess by any means. I think it's an outdated design, not very fun, more based on memorization than most else. But there are lots of other, even if you do enjoy it, you can do that, and there are lots of other abstract strategy games that are fantastic. Like, for example, Hive. There isn't even a board in this one, it's just small hexagonal pieces. Specifically, I'd recommend Hive Pocket if you want maximum smallness. And they're Bakelite, which is a very, very durable material. You could drop it out of your, you know, whatever story building and it'd probably be fine. Don't quote me on that, though. I will not be responsible if you do that. I don't want you to. 
Um, and it's just small pieces, and the idea is it's a spatial game, and you have to keep all the pieces connected, and you have to surround your opponent's queen. And there's no such thing as capturing a piece, but what we can do, which is even better, is trap a piece by making it so that, like, since every piece has to stay connected, if you manage to pin one of your pieces on the outside of one of their pieces that's suspended kind of out in the open, then they won't be able to move theirs, because if they did move theirs, yours would be stranded in open space, and that's not allowed. So they're stuck. And you have the advantage, because you can move whenever you want, and they can't. It's great. <laughs> There's also TAC, which is an area control abstract strategy game, which is fantastic. It's You're trying to build a road across the board using your flat pieces. And they can stack on top of each other and unfurl to make roads really quickly. It's crazy and very enjoyable. Now, there are also some less strategic but still interesting games, like um, the Oink series, which manages to be in something half the size of a deck box, which, like, I cannot even express how tiny that is. You can fit it anywhere, absolutely anywhere. My favorite out of this series is Deep Sea Adventure, which is about pushing your luck, going as far into the ocean as you can, grabbing treasure, and going up as fast as you can before the other people die, and ideally helping them die, to make sure they die and you do not. <laughs> this is very similar to another game, Clank, which is a huge box game, and I think it's an example of how you don't always need to add the bells and whistles. Personally, I think Deep Sea Adventure is a better game than Clank, even though it's much, much smaller and much, much simpler. It just, it provides exactly the same emotional sensations without all the, um, you know, screwing around. <laughs> there, it also has other great games like Insider, which is basically um, Trader Mechanic 20, 20 Questions, and um, A Fake Artist Goes to York, New York, which is essentially um, uh, Trader Mechanic drawing things. The idea being the fake artist doesn't actually know what he's meant to be drawing, and you just kind of hope that you kind of get enough guidelines from the other people to not screw it up too much, so they won't notice that you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> There are so many other great tiny games. 13 Minutes, the Cuban Missile Crisis, is, I think, a huge, huge, great example of this, because it's 13 cards and takes 13 minutes, but it is like Twilight Struggle. It is like an intense game. It is by no means as intense, but it has similar mechanics, and it uses those mechanics really well. I feel that every time I finished that game, it felt incredibly satisfying and like, cerebral and exciting. Ah, there's so many others I could recommend. You guys have any suggestions?